This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Whenever we read the scriptures, we see many things. I was thinking about it, and the scriptures really, um, it's like a wonderful garment, which has got nicely fitted jewels on it. And we look at it and we go, oh, look at that. There's a nice jewel. And that jewel might be something like the John 3, 16, for God so loved. And we focus on the jewel and we go, that's a wonderful piece of, of jewelry. It's a wonderfully faceted jewel. Then we go along and there's another jewel and it might have another, uh, might be another scripture like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And they're wonderfully faceted jewels and wonderfully looking and they're polished. But we can't take away from the fact that the whole garment together is finely made, it is finely crafted. So tonight I want to look at a passage of scripture. I'm actually going to look at two verses in particular. But what we're doing is we're looking at this, and do you know why you on these smartphones now, when you get a picture, you do is you put your fingers on it and you pull it apart, and that zooms in, and you get a better, close, closer look at the details. My, my wife's always doing that on my uh, um, Instagram, and I'm looking at pictures of, of various places around the world. Look at that picture. That's, that's Vienna. Oh, look at that picture there. That's in Genoa. And we're looking at these things, and she always does that. And that means that they all give these likes from me, and I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. But we're going to have we look at a scripture, and we're going to see what God has got to say to us. Because God loves to talk to us. He, he loves to interact with us. He loves to speak into our situation. And as the song goes, he likes to come into our situation. He likes to speak to us. That's a wonderful thing about God and about his word. He just likes to speak to us. He loves it when we talk to him and he loves to talk to us. So if you've got your Bibles with you this evening, if you can turn in the New Testament to Second Peter, the second epistle of Peter. Second Peter, it's over on the right. When you get the Hebrews, keep going. Get the revelation, you've gone too far. I'm going to read four verses in Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 says, uh, Simon, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Again, as I said, we're going to focus in on a couple of verses here. I just see in the details what God is saying, what the apostle is saying and the Holy Spirit through him is, is talking here. Peter wrote this book and, you know, realistically, the, the, the change in the life of Peter from the impetuous and passionate man that he was in the, uh, when he was with Jesus to the man he is now writing this book many years later. It's remarkable. He's changed and he's transformed. Here he's writing to the church. Um, uh, they say in Asia Minor, Asia Minor um, which would have included Ephesus, as the pastor was speaking on this morning, and for all the, the churches in that region. He was, wrote this letter to them to encourage them and to lift them up and to give them some insights. 
The apostle had a, a unique perception of Jesus. He had lived with Jesus. He had, he had spent time with Jesus. This is something that I, I keep coming back to this fact that these men had lived with him, lived with the Son of God. You know, we, we worship from afar in some ways, but he actually lived with them. He spent time with them. They, they walked around together. He seen the times when Jesus sighed at night after spending a long day arguing with the, the Pharisees or healing the sick. And he seen how he was drained. And yet he was also there whenever Jesus laughed and Jesus enjoyed things because Jesus was a, a normal person. Uh, respectively, I want to say <laughs> he was still the son of God, but he was still totally man. And he's seen all that. and he, So his grip on Jesus and on who Jesus was was very unique. He's seen the miracles being performed every day. He's seen how Jesus interacted with those who were destitute and those who had uh, 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 tremendous hardships and tremendous difficulties. He's seen that firsthand. He's seen how Jesus was gracious and how he was merciful and how he was kind and how he went out of his way to bless and to encourage and to correct at times. And he's seen how Jesus had this immense capacity to be that way. And he witnessed all that. And here he's writing to this church who are full of people who never seen Jesus, who never actually had been with Jesus like he had been, who had never actually, they weren't there when he fed the 5,000. He wasn't there. They weren't there with the tomb of Lazarus. They weren't there at all those places, those things that he had seen. But you see, the Christianity had taken a new step Whenever Jesus ascended into heaven and he sent the comforter and then the, the, the word went out, the gospel was spread, it took another step. We changed gear at that point. John 20, 10, 29, Jesus talking to Thomas. Remember Thomas who had doubted that Jesus had rose from the dead? Thomas, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Peter was there. He heard that. He's seen Thomas's unbelief. He's seen that the way he had reacted. And you have to remember, Peter had, in essence, gone through something similar. Remember, he had denied Christ and he ran away. He had seen how what he had thought was going to happen didn't happen. And here, Thomas had had an epiphany, as it were. You're the Christ. You're the God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you. You're blessed because you, you believe me because you've seen me. But tell you what, see the people who believe me and never seen me. Peter really got a grip of that. He really was impacted by that encounter. He said in 1 Peter, actually, he said, 1 Peter 1 verse 8, talking again to the same group of people, he says, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's blown away by this in First Peter. He's going like, wow, these people believe and they've never actually met Jesus. They didn't see him when he was raising the dead and he was healing the sick and he was feeding the 5,000. And he's, they still believe and he was blown away in First Peter. By Second Peter, he's going like, you know what? He said here in that verse, what did he say? He said, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Like precious faith. Now he commends them. He says, you've got the same faith that I've got. There's no difference between the faith that I have, he was saying, and the faith that you have. 
There's no difference in what we believe together because we believe the same things. You might think to yourself, oh, I'm saved from another place. I never actually interacted with Jesus. Oh, the apostles were special. And they were special. Let's not take it away from them. But he's here, Peter, saying, you've got the exact same faith I've got. You've got the exact same relationship with the exact same God that I've got. Your faith is based on the exact same person my faith's based on. That exact same life that was lived. The exact same sacrifice on Calvary. There is no difference to your faith and my faith. You have the like precious faith that I do. Isn't that wonderful to know tonight? Isn't that absolutely fabulous to know that we have the same faith as the apostles? We might not have the same faith to go out into the the lion's den and to to go face off against uh, mighty Rome, but we've got the same faith, like precious faith in the same God. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, I think that's absolutely wonderful. We have the same faith. We have the exact same faith. No matter where in the body of Christ we find ourselves, no matter what we do as far as in church circumstances and in ministry for the one of a better word, no matter what we do, we all share the same common faith. And it's absolutely wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Now, we as mortal people who interact in normal circumstances, normal world, are used to hierarchy in the sense that there's, you know, uh, um, different ways of looking at people in different organizations. Oh, he's got a better training than me and he's got a better this. And there is a bit of that. Yes, we've got people who got better, maybe better understanding or better abilities. But the truth is, at the end of the day, we've all got the same faith in the same God. Yes, there's some people who've got a faith that is a great faith that God has given them. The scriptures talk about a, a, a gift of faith. You know, we think of Claire out there in the Philippines and what she has started and that massive organization now and, you know, and what, how much money she needs every month to keep the thing going. I mean, that takes a level of faith that I don't have. We think of Rachel out there in Africa doing her, helping there as well and doing the mercy ships. You know, that takes a, a level of faith to give up your job for, you know, for a couple of years and to go off and do that there. You know, what about Becky? You know, to, to be 100%, I'm just dependent on whatever comes in. That's a gift of faith. That's another level. But we all share a common faith. We are the body of Christ. We all have that same blood that pumps through us, as it were, as like a, like a body, as it were. You know, it talks in, sec- in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the, us being the body of Christ. For as, one body, uh, for, or as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body and also is Christ. We're all together. We all share that faith in God, the same faith, the same trust in the same God to save us. With same dependency upon the same Savior, the same hope for the future, the same regard for Him. Regardless of what we do in church and regardless of what we do when it comes to ministry or sharing the gospel or singing a song or, or whatever, we all have a, a common faith. There's no hierarchy of faith in that respect. It's important that we, re- we realize that. 
we together have the same faith. Our relationship with God is the same, based on the same sacrifice of the same Savior. Equally as important, equally as capable of changing the world. Not deficient in any way. Our faith isn't deficient in any way. Yes, we need to work on ourselves. We need to be more sanctified, as the pastor was reminding us this morning. We need to be moving on a, a journey. But when we look at people and we look at uh, preachers and we look at celebrities, who are Christian celebrities, if you want to put it that way, and we think of them, oh, you know, if they were here tonight, this place would be packed. But you know what? We're here. We've got the same faith. We don't need to have any big sh- sh- razzmatazz, big showbiz. We have the same God, the same Savior, the same hope, the same faith in a God who still interacts with his people and the same God who comes and meets with his people wherever they are and a God who does not change. It's wonderful news today to know that no matter how long we've been saved, whether we've been saved for six months or 60 years, We've got the same faith in the same God. Sometimes when people come to Christ, they, they feel so far behind. I've got so much catching up to do. But at the end of the day, we've got the same faith. We share a common faith together in a common God. And that's the wonderful thing about preaching in the Word of God is that we can hear something that God can speak to us. Whether we've been saved 25 years or 25 minutes, God can speak to us and interact with us because of that common faith that we share, because of our common dependency upon Him. And this is the wonderful thing Peter is highlighting to this church who had never encountered Jesus in the flesh, who had never seen the miracles he was reminding them that you are this, you've got the same faith that I've got. You're the same place that I am to start with. Yes, we need to go on, but yes, we're at the same faith. He said there that we have the like precious faith, faith with us by the righteousness of our God. Righteousness of our God. It's an interesting word. The righteousness there, the word used is the word... I'm going to pronounce it one way, and someone else is going to pronounce it another, but uh, DK Usine, which is a word that means righteousness. But it also means justice. Talking about God, God's righteousness, but also talks about God's justice. And the wonderful thing in the, t- in the context of this verse, when you talk about God's justice, God's justice demands that it's the same faith. He d- God's justice demands that we all start at the same place, that we all come to the foot of the same cross that we all accept Christ as our Savior, that we all admit our need before him to be saved, to be redeemed. No one jumps ahead of that queue. We all come to the same place, and that's wonderful news. It's wonderful to know that, you know, we've got the tendency of placing someone up on a pedestal and thinking that they are so much higher than I, so much better than I, so much... Yes, they might be more sanctified than we are, but they're in the same place that we are. They came to the same cross, They were at the same cross and they admitted their need before God. They needed the same salvation that I needed. They needed to be cleansed from all my sinful desires and sinful thoughts and sinful whatever. They needed the same salvation regardless. And we look at the world out there and we look at people who who have got loads of money, who are full of self-confidence and full of themselves and full of their abilities and full of their their self-righteousness. And we look at them and we go, you know what? I, I sometimes despair for them. People who are so wealthy and, and ungodly. 
you know, not, we're not talking about Christian people, we're talking people out in the culture who are wealthy and rich, full of themselves. Someone still needs to go to them with a message, you need to be born again. You need to meet Christ at the foot of the cross and bend your knee. They still need to know because it's the same place that they have to come to. But for them, it's a harder fall. It's a harder step. It is wonderful to know that God's justice, which is impartial, has no favorites and is no respecter of persons and ensures that our faith is the exact same because it has to start in the exact same place. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? I'll be honest, over the years, I'm not so bad now, but over the years I've heard the Messianic Jews preaching. And I can remember being a young Christian, a very young Christian, and going, Lord, I wish I was born a Jew. And I could come to know you as a Jew, because I, I had this idea. <laughs> if I was a Messianic Jew, then you'd be really ahead of the line. You know, <laughs> you know the, the, the Jews, they knew God, you know. <laughs> but they, okay, they missed Jesus, but they knew God, you know. And I thought, you know, if I was born a Jew, I would have been that one step ahead, you know. <laughs> but you know what? They had to come to the same point. They had to come to the same place. They had to come to know the same Christ. You know, yes, they might have some insights, you know, into, into the Old Testament, into the scriptures, but you know what? We're all the same before Christ. He loves each of us in that same way. And that's a wonderful thing to know. It's a wonderful thing to know. See, on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost on that day when we're standing before God in heaven, you know, and if, if, if I'm next in the queue, right behind Billy Graham, you know what? He's going to give me just as big a hug as he gives big Billy Graham. You know? Really? He served with the talents that he was given and the way God blessed him. I've done whatever I could do with whatever I was given. That's all I'm asked to do. That's all we're expected to do. That's really it. And at the end of the day, we're all together, standing. There's no, there's no high podiums. We were in, a, in Rome there in, the, in the, the, the Colosseum. We only had the different seats. seats. Here's where all the plebs sat. Here's where all the senators sat, you know. And they all carved their, their names in the stone. It's fascinating. Uh, and it's ruins. Like, but anyway, you're sitting there. There's none of that in heaven. No, no, no. We'll all come together. There'll be, there'll be no, oh, I don't mix with that sort of people. I mean, none of that at all. We'll all be coming in together, hand in hand, praising and worshiping God. And it's going to be a wonderful day. Absolutely fabulous, fabulous day. As he goes on there, the, the apostle goes on in the verse two, it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know, we are the people who have been given such a gr abundant grace by God. We've got such a, a, an abundance of that that has been made available to us. And it's absolutely wonderful that we have a peace with God that passes all understanding. No longer is that a sense of againstness there. Now we are open and honest before God. God has revealed himself to us. We don't, he's no longer an enemy to us. We're no longer enemies to him. Now we have a, great, a peace that passes all understanding. And God can give us that peace in the midst of storms. He can abound towards us in peace and, and give us peace in the midst of turmoil. And God's wonderful at doing that. He's also great at, with his grace. He's given us grace, grace to get through this life, grace to get through circumstances. Hebrews, um, not Hebrews, sorry. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, do I, uh, gives, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. See, the world gives peace 
or the world gives things with a hook in it to get something. They give you, they give you something so far just to keep you in their control, keep you dependent on them. This might sound a wee bit it's typical sort of, you know, I was reading too many commentaries. I got a pastor's comment now. So the world gives with a, a hook and Christ gives with a crook. <laughs> you know, it was, he gives out of care and out of love and out of compassion. And that's a wonderful thing, the difference between the way God gives peace and the way this world gives peace. So to us as the people of God, there is an, there's an extra abundance of grace. As Pastor said this morning, Paul especially was, it was well known for saying, for opening his letters with grace and peace. Grace and peace. He, he opened them and that was his greeting. And it's a wonderful to have a bit of a greeting. Um, I, don't, I don't, and I've got to work on my introductions as well. But it's wonderful that, that, God, that, that the grace and the peace that has been given to us. See, Peter here is actually doing a wee bit differently though. Because he's saying grace and peace uh, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. It's going to be multiplied to you. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. There's times, I might, okay, I know that I have the peace of God at times. I know that I have the grace of God at times. And I'll be honest, there's times where I don't have a lot of the grace of God. <laughs> there's times where I don't even have a lot of the peace of God. Because this life is daily. It is nonstop. It is in your face. It's coming at you 24-7. So much things happening around us. And Peter here is saying to the church, grace can be multiplied. Grace can be increased. You can receive more grace, more peace. It can be increased in the knowledge of God. The first epistle of Peter likes to focus on the grace of God. You believe and you've never seen. He focuses on the grace of God. Here in the second one, he focuses heavily on the knowledge of God. In three small chapters, he says knowledge or to know 13 times. I love, as I said at the beginning, I love the things of God and I get enthusiastic. I get excited whenever we talk about God. When we sing a song that just, just lifts you and you imagine God in all his glory. I just got stirred up whenever I hear about God's atoning sacrifice. When I hear about God doing something for someone and how God reaches out. I get excited about the things of God. How he takes everyone from the guttermost to the uttermost. It's just wonderful. Absolutely fills me with excitement and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm from the Greek word talks about God inside. I'm excited about God. I tell you, I do get excited about God. My wife will tell you. I get excited quite well, somewhat frequently. And it's just absolutely wonderful to get excited about God. But I'm not always excited about God. There's days and there's weeks. There, not weeks. Let's not say weeks. That sounds really bad. But there's days where I wake up and, and the last thing I'm thinking about, the last thing that's, that's on me is, is the grace of God. You know, we, we, I remember years ago, you know, um, our families, we're, well, as all families are, you're brutally honest with your family, you know. And um, my uh, uh, mom and dad, my dad obviously being a pastor for many years and, and preaching uh, an itinerant ministry. Um, I remember one time uh, my mom, my dad was saying something. He was just, let's be honest, he was being snarky, you know. <laughs> he was saying something and my mom looked at him, deadpan face, says, 
I don't know what's jumping all over you, but you need to get rid of it. <laughs> you know? And even this past week, I was having a con- I was sitting out to lunch with my parents, and I, my dad was sitting there, and he had so much on his mind about the church in Letterkenny, and he was, he was just, his mind was somewhere else, and he was just one-word answers. And I turned, and I looked at him, and I says, I don't know what's jumping over you, but you need to sort it out. <laughs> There's days like that, isn't there? Where things are jumping all over us, you know, and we don't know what it is. I can tell you, it's not the Spirit of God. <laughs> <laughs> Something's happening. I'm just, I'm, I'm at odds with everyone, and I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. And we were just like so tense and so, uh, you just want to lash out. Have you been there? You know what I mean? It's just coming at you 24-7. Sometimes it's, it's just in your workplace. It's your family. It's the kids. It's the grandkids. And it's just nonstop. And it's, it's just, you just don't know what to do. You know, I, I was listening to someone talk, preaching re- a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about, you know, uh, opposition coming against you, and it coming against you in your workplace, and it's terrible, and it, it's just not right. It's coming in, and God help me with this opposition. It's terrible. Oh no, they've heard some more opposition. There's another member of staff starting. That's just terrible. You know, and it does. It just comes at you nonstop. But we need to remember, just as the apostles reminding the church here about this here idea of multiplied grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. You know, the, the word rejoice in the scriptures, as I've heard pastors speaking on, rejoice, the idea is you're rejoicing. Rejoicing again, it was a while ago. <laughs> uh, you know, where we re-remind ourselves to, to rejoice in what God has done for us. So too, in the same way, we need to be reminded about God and about his goodness and about his grace. And we need to be reminded about these things. It talks about there, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. In the knowledge of God. Uh, We must be careful when we talk about knowledge because we can go sometimes too far out one end with knowledge and end up somewhere very dry and very, (laughs) very remote. Uh, but we, we have to remember we do need knowledge. Knowledge is important. Feelings and emotions will take us so far, but it's about the knowledge of God we're talking about here. The word for knowledge here is epinosis or epigenosis, if you want to pronounce it the, the Northern Irish way, epinosis. We've all heard of gnosis or Gnosticism, that, that their cult and heresy that swept through the church in the second and third centuries was all about a special knowledge. Colossians is written against it. You see the apostles and a few of the other gospels mentioning it as it's building, and they're talking about there's no special knowledge. This is what this is a wonderful thing about, about Peter. He's saying, yeah, we all have the same faith. There's nothing separate, nothing different. So Peter here is using the word epinosis, which is different because he's using knowledge in a different way. Here, epinosis denotes exact or full knowledge, discernment, recognition, and is a strengthened form of gnosis, which is knowledge, expressing a fuller or a full knowledge, a greater participation by the knower in the object known, thus more powerfully influencing him. You get it? A fuller knowledge a knowledge that requires greater participation by the knower in the object known. We're too, we're too easy about sitting back and saying, oh, I know it, and I'm just accepting. There has to be a level of participation in this. A knowledge that requires a greater participation by the knower in the object known. 
thus more powerfully influencing him or her. We're not here just to sort of take in. We can't just take in. There has to be an interaction. As I said there, we're just saying things will bounce all over us and they'll keep bouncing. They'll keep happening to us. They'll keep bouncing over our minds and over our hearts and our emotions and they'll be all over the show and they'll keep bouncing and they'll keep going and they'll keep stirring and they'll keep causing confusion and they'll keep causing distress and they'll keep causing worry and they'll keep causing and they'll keep causing. But Peter's saying here, there's a knowledge that leads to greater peace and greater grace that leads to an increase of that in our lives because we do need more grace. Remember the apostle Paul who prayed for the thorn in the flesh three times and God said to him, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I don't need grace for one more day, oh God. I only need grace for one more day. There's no grace for another day. There's grace for another day. There's grace for another day. So we need to... This knowledge that he's talking about here is, a, is an interactive knowledge. It's a knowledge that we're using that's drawing us in. That's, it's causing us to respond. It's causing us to act. It's not a knowledge that we merely store in our heads and do nothing with. It's a knowledge that we take out in our mind and we take out and we use it and we stir it, our spirit up with it and we stir up the gifts that God has given us. And we stir up the fruit, stir up what God has given us by using the knowledge of God. So that's where it says there. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. We're not talking about random knowledge about nothing. We're talking about the knowledge of God. Information is one thing, but until that information is put together, it's not knowledge. Knowledge is something totally different. There's three types of people whom we'll meet in church circles. And I'm not, I'm not identifying anyone. <laughs> there's the unaware, there's the unconvinced, and then there's the unwavering. And we'll encounter them every day in church. We'll see them in other churches and we'll see them in this church sometimes. Not, not many in this church. <laughs> we'll see them the unaware are people who are going through things they're hard pressed <laughs> on every side surrounded by the things of this world are, are being jumped on constantly and they're unaware that there's any way out I'm saved and that's all and they're unaware of it and they're walking along and they've no way of getting out of it they've no understanding about how God could deliver them they've no understanding about God's grace and God's peace and what I need to do I need to seek the face of God they've no understanding of those things they're not unaware of it it would remind you of the, the, the parable with the seed. The seed, there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is sown. And these people are just unaware, blissfully unaware. I'm struggling. I got I to gotta keep going. Oh, I, gotta, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what happened. And the last thought in their head is the things of God. The last thought in the head is that God might speak to me tonight in church and, and reveal something through from his scriptures. The last thought is that God has come to set the prisoner free. The last thought in their head is that God has said that Jesus has came to destroy the works of the enemy. That's the last thought in their head because they're not thinking about the things of God. They've got more cares of everything else. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. I need to do that. They're the unaware. The unconvinced are a slightly different animal because they know about the things of God. Just as a seed that was cast onto the ground, which grew a certain amount of roots, they were, they, were, they were unconvinced. It wasn't enough. Now, I know I'm, I'm sort of diverging slightly from what the parable talks about, but these are people who, who, who understand that God can deliver people. 
It's great what they did for that man over there. Isn't that wonderful? They, they, God, God helped him, blessed him. But he wouldn't bless me. That, was, that, that word in that sermon on Sunday morning, that, that wasn't for me. Oh, that was for him over there. He really needs it. See, they're unconvinced that God's word could, is for them. They know that God can do things, but they think that he did it 2,000 years ago, or he did it 50 years ago, or he did it 100 years ago, and he wouldn't do it today. See, they're unconvinced that God can do anything today. And they're unconvinced it applies to them. Oh, I got myself into this mess, and I'm going to have to get myself out of it. Unconvinced. And the third type of person that we encounter is the unwavering. The unwavering. God said it. That's good enough for me. God said it in his word. I can stand on that. God said it. God, he wants to deliver me. He wants to set me free. He has made me free. Unwavering in their understanding that God is alive today and God wants to change their lives. Unwavering in their commitment to God. Come what may. Come what that leak in the house. The house has fallen down. I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to seek the face of God. Come what may. I don't know what's going to go on. I don't know how to sort this out. But you know what? I need to seek the face of God. Because I know it works. Unwavering in their understanding that God's still God. Unwavering in their understanding that God is still alive and working in people's lives today. Unwavering in their, their faith in God that he can still save anyone even the loved ones, unwavering and praying for them because I know God can still save them. Unwavering. Faith and knowledge in God does that. Belief in him. See, our emotions will only take us so far. Our emotions will only take us so far. You know, and as I said, I, I love emotions as much as a man can love emotions. But, you know, it's I, I, just wonderful. But it's, the thing is that it only takes us so far. My emotions don't tell me I'm at peace sometimes. I have to do a step beyond my emotions. Step into the word. See what God is saying. Stand upon that word. Believe what God has said. Believe that this word is true. We need that. You know, I think we might need that definition again. It is a fuller knowledge, a knowledge that requires greater participation by the knower in the object known. Greater participation. I'm not one of these type of people who believes that God just does everything. I believe, I believe sincerely that God has got a requirement upon us and that he requires us to do what we can do. He doesn't, he doesn't require us to move the mountain, but he, he requires us to get the shovel out and start sometimes. He requires us to do what we can, not to sit back and wait for someone else to do it. I, when I'm hiring people in my work, I absolutely love it. Whenever, whenever uh, you know, they come in, they go, oh, come on in the back for an interview. And they're walking in, oh, there's a bit of rubbish. You know, they're a bit of leaflet or something. You know, and they'll come in. They, they come in, or else when they start in their first day, and they're just getting mucked in right away. I absolutely love that. People who sit back and just wait to be told, wait to see what's going to happen. You know, um, if it was my job, my business, I wouldn't hire them. But, you know, people who get stuck in. That's what this relationship with God is about. That's what walking with God is about. Getting involved where we are. Not waiting for some special moment. Oh, the spotlight's on. Now it's my moment. There's no spotlights in normal life. There's no round of applause. There's no big introduction. We just get on with it. We just do what we do. And it's absolutely wonderful because we've all got the same faith. That's, we all started that same place. We can stand on his word and believe him for what he has said. 
Peter has seen this. In his day, he's reminding the church that this is vital. Vital that you know that this knowledge, uh, that your grace and peace is multiplied to, to you in the knowledge of God. And in his day, he's saying this to them. It's vital for them. How much more in our day and age? How much more with our technology and our social media and our YouTube and our Sky and our whatever else that's demanding information, that's demanding of us? In this day and age, it's so much more important that we come aside and we get the right kind of knowledge in our minds, that we right kind of knowledge in our spirits, that we concentrate on things, we meditate on things. There's an old word we don't use. Meditate on the Word of God. Meditate on the Scriptures. See what God has said to us. And if you get it in there, then it becomes epignosis, epignosis, and we have to act on it. We have to do something with it. We've got plenty, pastor speaking this morning, there was plenty in that to think about and meditate upon. <laughs> Get the podcasts and listen to these things. Stir them up in ourselves once in, a, once in a while. Remind ourselves. Get involved. Don't wait for that one day, that moment in the spotlight. As I said at the beginning, when we worship God, we invite him to be, in, to be involved. When we worship God through witnessing, what are we inviting them to be involved in someone's life? And God, who is a God of justice, will see to it that the same faith as it's offered, the exact same faith. Knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's an interesting turn of phrase. Knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. It reminds me of Thomas. You know, at the beginning there when I said whenever Jesus spoke to Thomas, he says, you see, you see now and you believe. Uh, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I remember that moment he turned, he had, just before that he had said, Jesus said, here's, here's, the, here's the wounds in my hands. Here's the, the hole in my side, touch and see. And it says that Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. He cried out at that moment. And he realized that this was real, that the Christ he had spent time with, who he had seen die, was resurrected. Peter's in good company when he's reminding them, it is the knowledge of God, it's the knowledge of Jesus, it's the knowledge of these things that is going to give us greater peace and greater grace. Because as we, we think about these things, we think about the Word of God, we think about Jesus, as we meditate on the Word, as we meditate on the sermon we've heard, as we meditate on these things, God increases in us grace and peace. Grace for the circumstances and peace so that we're insulated from the storm. Because we need more peace. And as we get to the point where we're confident in God's ability, confident that he's the same God, confident that he can still deliver us, confident that he can still set us free, confident that he can help us out of whatever hole we've got ourselves into, as we get confident that he is able, I tell you, the grace, the peace that we're going to have, the peace that we have when we realize that he's still God, it's absolutely wonderful. Nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing is impossible for our God. It's not just a catchphrase. Nothing is impossible. So whatever we're facing this week, whatever we've got coming against us, whatever wants to jump all over us, remember 
to focus on the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ and of God. Focus on the, that knowledge. Focus on him, on who he is. And that will increase in us that sense of peace. It'll give us the grace to get through things. So we, we, we need all the help we can get at times. And focusing on him does get the eyes of us, gets the eyes off us, off our circumstances, off whatever's jumping around and we're looking around for. And that's what helps us through this storm. We keep our eyes on him. It helps us. Lord God in heaven, we praise you, Lord. Lord, we praise you and we glorify you. We thank you that you are God. Lord, we thank you that you love to interact with us. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you love to hear our prayers. Lord, you love it when we pour out our heart before you, Lord. God, and sometimes we're confused and sometimes we're in distress. And dear God in heaven, we need you every day, Lord. We need you to help us. We need you to strengthen us, Lord. We need your hand of protection and your guidance, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, for what you've given us. We thank you that we share a common faith, O God, in you. We thank you that we have a common salvation and we've met together with you at the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us and keep us, Lord, that you'll guide us and strengthen us, O Lord, that you'll stir us up, O God, that you'll set our hearts on fire, that you'll stir us up for your kingdom, O God, and give us a passion and a destiny, Lord. God, we praise you and we glorify you. We thank you for this time in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for this time around your word, Lord. We thank you for this time in your house, O God. Lord, we glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for this week ahead. Lord, we look forward to seeing you in our lives this week, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.